This uh, today kicks off kind of the Holy Week. And when I think about the Holy Week, and I think about Palm Sunday in particular, it always amazes me. You know, when you read the story of here Jesus comes in to Jerusalem as a king and they celebrate him as such, but shortly throughout the week he goes from king to criminal. And I always just wonder, how does that happen? Uh, what was going on in their minds that where they, they thought he was a king, but then they, they ended up yelling crucify? And I think what we would see is that they, they understood him right through the Old Testament when it does talk about the Messiah coming as a king. But I think they thought that he would be the king of Israel, but instead he came as the king of heaven in doing two different things. Slightly, that's why they, they uh, changed their minds, called him a criminal, and called him to be crucified. But in the same way, we've been in the book of Galatians, and in the same, kind of the same way, the, the people, they started in faith, that these churches, they started uh, their relationship with Jesus in faith. But then it changed in just a short time to this relationship of works, trying to... Uh, earn pleasure with God by what they did. And for them, it was kind of not just a, it was a, the Gentiles not just having faith with Jesus, but also going back and saying, well, now I have to become Jewish. I have to pick up the, the laws, the different um, uh, festival laws, the Sabbath law, the kosher laws, and, and all of those things. And that would be the way that we would please God. And in the same way, Paul comes and says, that is not uh, the story, that you have been reading your Bibles wrong in, in such a way. You have been reading your Bibles through the eyes of Moses. You need to read, your eye, read the Bible through the eyes of Abraham. And so that's what we'll get to today. But let me ask you this, how do you read the Bible? How do you make sense of it? Maybe that's, you're like, that's why I'm here, to try to make sense of this, right? But but as your pastor, what I'm interested in is I, is I want you to be able to read your Bible and make sense of it and understand it. And uh, that's probably more than I can uh, do today, but I'm going to take a, a shot at it, at least in a little bit. But um, how do we make sense of the Bible? So for, for many of you, you, you may be like me, you kind of read the Bible from, uh, from highlight to highlight, you know, you, you read the Bible you, and you find a, a verse that you kind of like, you highlight it, and, uh, and it's there. Some of you don't like highlighting your Bibles, and some of you do it online or whatever, but you know what I mean? And so you, you can kind of look back throughout your Bible after some time, after you've, you've marked it up a little bit, and see some great verses that, that give you hope and inspire you and give you direction, make you be a better uh, husband or, or wife or child or boss or leader or whatever it is. And so you kind of look and you go like, okay, so here's a highlight. So God created man in his, own, in his own image. He created them in the image of God, male and female. He created them. So good. I'm learning how to treat people in the image of God. Now we, we flip forward and maybe we end up in the Psalms somewhere and we read something like this. Um, I am at rest in God alone. My salvation comes from him alone. He's my rock. He's my salvation. I'll never be shaken. That's good. That's good. And we, we read that and we kind of like, That's, that, that gives me motivation through life, and maybe we get into the New Testament, and we get to some other verses. Here's one. Um, let's see. This is highlighted. Romans 12:1. Therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. It's your spiritual act of worship, and that gives us some direction. But 
that's good. I mean, God does speak through His living Word, and He speaks to you, and He teaches you how to, how to be, um, you know, a faithful husband and wife and all that. But the thing is, is the Bible is more than just that. It's more than just some individual messages to you, right? There, there's other things in the Bible that maybe we miss if we're just thinking about it individualistically, like the whole context of the Bible, the whole story of the Bible. It's not written for you to be better at whatever roles you have. It's the story of God pursuing His people, pursuing them and bringing them into a relationship where they were estranged from them, and He brings them into this relationship through Jesus Christ, which will be an eternal relationship. That's the story of the Bible. And along the ways, it directs us how we live. But sometimes we'll miss things like that. We also miss, um, you know, just the context that it's written in when we just kind of look at individual verses. Uh, this, this happened just this week. I was, I think it was, I think it was around Panera. I saw somebody going into a Panera. And they were wearing a sweatshirt, and it, it was the name of their gym. And I forget what gym it was, right? But it was um, somewhere where they worked out. And you could tell by the way they looked that they worked out a lot, okay? <laughs> and, uh, but on the sleeve, it said Ephesians 3.20, Okay, so whenever I see a verse like that, just, you know, whether it's that or a letterman's jacket or whatever, I'm like, I got it. What is that verse? And I know Ephesians 3. It's a great passage. And I'm like, what? Why? Why do they have that? And so I, I went and looked at it, and it says this. Now to him who is able to do above and beyond what we ask or think, according to the power that is a work within us. Well, that's where it stops. <laughs> So I'm like, okay, great passage. Um, I see why they put that verse on there. Maybe the owner of the gym is a Christian, and he's saying, hey, uh, the, the power within us can make us do more than we ever imagined. So when someone's uh, bench pressing or squatting, they come by and say, you can do more. You're more powerful than that. You can press that weight. Like, I could see that, but I am pretty sure that's not what Paul had in mind when he wrote this. Okay, I'm pretty sure. It talks about being filled with the power of God, being filled with the Messiah so that we can love him and love others. And then the next verse says, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus for all generations. So I think it's a little bit more than just a good workout verse, but you know what I mean? We have these little verses that we like, and um, we got to ask why they're in there. What is the message? So how do you read your Bible? Let me ask you this. What do you do with the Old Testament? Okay, how do you do with the Old Testament? Um, there are some people, there are even some pastors, some popular pastors even today, that are saying that this part of the Bible, the Old Testament, you don't need it, Right? Um, there was a, a book written that was saying, you know, actually, it's not that you don't need it. It's that this, this, when the church preaches this, this is what's wrong in our culture. This is why the church is ineffective. This is why people are leaving, because you're preaching the Old Testament when you need to be preaching the New Testament. So we have no business in the Old. And that's, that's a thought out there. And maybe you think that too. Maybe you, you're like progressive. You like the New. So out with the Old. We don't need the Old Testament, just the New Testament. But um, is there value? Is there value in the Old Testament? I would say, yes, there is. But then what do we do with it? Some of us will look at things like the Ten Commandments and say, that's good. Ten Commandments, I need to live by that, right? Um, do not murder and steal and covet and all those things. But 
What about those other things, like kind of some of the things where it says um, you shouldn't have clothing with two kinds of fabric? Like, I like my poly blends. Um, uh, we'll just uh, we'll forget that one, right? Or don't put two seeds in your field, you know, where I like, I like different kinds of vegetables. I, so we'll ignore that one. Uh, what about the kosher um, laws, you know, like kind of like bacon, kind of like shrimp. I like bacon-wrapped shrimp. So... Um, We'll just, you know, we'll ignore that. So do we, do we pick and choose? That's what I'm saying. Do we pick and choose from the Old Testament and, um, you know, just kind of highlight the ones we like and forget the others? Um, you know, it's important for us as followers of Christ to know what the Bible, how, how to read the Bible, right? How to interpret it. And what happens if we don't do that? Then we get into these places like where the, the Galatians were. We get confused and we think, hey, the way to honor God, the way to please Him is following the law. we got to keep doing that, right? So let's, let's read all these things in Leviticus. No more tattoos and all those things that we can't please the God with that. we got to understand how this is written and what's it written. And so Paul, in this, in this passage in Galatians, is, is continuing to drive home this, uh, this, this fact that as we, we relate to God, we relate to Him through faith, not through works. So he's been talking about this for chapters 1 and 2. And so for the last few weeks, Daniel and I have been preaching this. And I think, to be honest, we're kind of like, okay, another one. We keep another message on you got to have faith, you know. And we're worried that you guys are going to stop like, okay, I get it. And you're not going to come. And all that, but we want to keep pressing on with God's word. And Paul keeps pressing on. And he says that it's that important that I'm not going to just say it in a verse. I'm not going to say it in a chapter. I'm going to say it in several chapters because we have to get it through our heads and into our hearts that we relate to God through faith. Um, I think for us, too, as, as long as we have it in our minds, in our, for us and in the church, that if, there, if we have it in our understanding that there's things that we can do to make God love us more or to be more pleased with us, or if we do these things, we get a bigger crown in heaven or a bigger castle or whatever it will be. If we do these things that he'll love us more, then we, we need to hear this message. We need to keep coming back to this. But that's not the way we approach God. This week I, was, I saw a book on Amazon the title intrigued me, but I knew the author, and I'm like, I don't, I don't know. I'm not sure if I want to buy this book. And so I, I looked at a review, right? And the top review, the one that popped up, it just said this about the book. It said, excellent book. It, it not only challenges you in your faith walk with Christ, but it gives you nuggets of insight and wisdom to equip you to do better, to be better. And I don't, I don't know what the person was thinking or what their thought is. I don't know who it was or whatever. But it's still, it's that thought that if I just read this book on Christian faith, if I just do a couple things, I'm going to do better in my faith and God's going to love me more. If I just put these things into practice, I'm going to be a better Christian. And sometimes we get into that mentality because that's how it is in all of life. All of life is like that. You know, we get the checks, we get the stars, we get the promotions or the bonuses because we do better. But in our faith, that's not how God sees us. That's not how we operate. 
So we do need to keep hearing this. This thought that we come to Christ through faith. So we'll talk about that in just a little bit. But let me just say one more thing before I get in there. And I know this is a long introduction. Um, But let me just say this. That today in this passage we're going to be talking about a couple covenants. A couple covenants from the Old Testament. And some of you may not be totally familiar with covenants. Maybe you've heard that word or whatever. But um, without going into a lot of detail, let me just kind of say this. That throughout the Old Testament, there's different places where God says, here's how we're going to relate. You know, I'm going to make this covenant with you. Uh, A promise or a commitment that we'll make together. And so there's several through the Bible, and uh, different people um, separate them different ways. But there's there's one from the beginning with with Adam, kind of how the covenant, how he's going to work the land and subdue it, things like that. We get into the curse as well. But one of the famous ones that you hear about with is Noah. That's a covenant too. Remember, God says, I'm not going to flood the earth again. And what's my covenant? What's the promise? Like the rainbow. You'll see that. Okay, so that's that that's his covenant. Uh, there's another one with Abraham. This is probably one of the famous ones, right? We're in, in chapter 12 of Genesis, and we see it in 15 and 17 and on. Um, this is this, this covenant that's established. He says, I'm going to make your name great. You're going to be a blessing to the people. I'm going to give you land. Uh, the whole world, the whole earth is going to be blessed by you. Okay, that was a covenant. Uh, there's the, uh, let's see, um, Moses, all right? And that one's the Old Covenant, the Mosaic Covenant, um, the law, Right? Um, and this is, you're going to be a kingdom of priests to me. Here's how we're going to relate, right? Um, but there is some conditions. If you do this, I'm going to bless you. If you don't, you'll be cursed. You know, you're going to, the land will be taken from you. So there's some, some elements in there. Well, then we have uh, with King David, there's another covenant saying, hey, that, that seed, that descendant, that one from Abraham, is going to be on the throne forever, an eternal covenant. And so there's these covenants that we have. And then certainly the new covenant. The, the prophets talk about this new covenant that will come with a new heart, right? That the, that the heart of stone will be gone. The new heart of flesh will be coming. This will be a new relationship with God, an eternal relationship with God, that the whole world will come into this covenant, not just Israel, but the whole world. And so anyway, you see all these covenants. And there, I think there's 16 places in the Old Testament that talk about everlasting, like eternal covenants, but it's never mentioned on the one we're talking about today. The Mosaic covenant, the law, right? The Ten Commandments, Exodus 19 to 24. It's never mentioned as an eternal covenant. Instead, it's, it's mentioned as a temporal co- covenant that will come and go. So that's going to be important when we get into this passage here in just a minute. That the people in Galatia that were giving this information were saying, this covenant of, Mo- of Moses you have to follow. And Paul is saying, no, because it's been fulfilled. It's done. So there's a new one that you need to follow. This new covenant that comes not through Moses, but through Abraham. So with that, let's get into the passage. So open up to Galatians chapter 3. We'll be reading from 15 and onward. But here's what we need to see when we look at this. That the righteous, the person who is righteous before God, the one who has God's pleasure, has his acceptance, the righteous will what? Will live by faith. 
That was in last week's passage in chapter 3, verse 11. Clearly, no one who relies on the law is justified before God because the righteous will live by faith. Okay, so that's where Paul is, is emphasizing. If you want to be righteous before God, you've got to learn to live on faith. And here's his argument in verse 15. He says, brothers and sisters, let me take an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or add to a human covenant that's been duly established, so it is in this case. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Scripture does not say, and to seeds, plural, meaning many people, but and to your seed, meaning one person, who is Christ. What I mean is this, the law introduced 430 years later, does not set aside the covenant previously established by God and thus do away with the promise. For if the inheritance depends on the law, then it no longer depends on the promise. But God in His grace gave it to Abraham through a promise. Did you get all that? Does it make sense? Okay, good. Let's move on. <laughs> no, it's tough. All right, it's tough. There's a lot in here. Here's, here's kind of what's going on. He starts talking about, here's an example from everyday life, uh, a contract, or we might think of it like a will or, you know, a, a trust. Um, he's saying once this has been established, it can't be changed, right? And uh, what God established with Abraham will not be changed, cannot be ratified. So I know, like, if we have this, it doesn't make total sense to us because if we have a will or a trust, we can ratify it. You can make changes while you're alive. But once you have signed it or once you have died, that then it is, you, you can't change it. You can't ratify it. You can't say, well, yeah, but look what happened. I think his heart would be, you know, we do this or that. You can't. And so he's just saying here that the promise made to Abraham is not to be changed. It's not to be ratified. God gave it early on, and it's good. So that order is important. It came before, way before the law of Moses. Okay? So what is this promise? Right? This is the promise. It's that covenant to Abraham. God's desire to bless Abraham, but through him and his descendants, he would bless the world. And there's like eight things that he talks about, you know, a great name and, you know, blessing for those who bless you and curses for those who curse you and occupying the land, being a blessing to the Gentiles and kings descending from Abraham. There's a lot in it, right? But the blessing, the the promise is to be received with faith. So he says, you know, to Abraham, he says, I'm going to go, go from your country in, in Genesis chapter 12, right? In your people, from your father's household, to the land I'll show you. I'll make you a great nation. I'll bless you. I'll make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I'll curse, and the people of the earth will be blessed through you. And so Abraham went. He listened. He obeyed. He went. But in chapter 15, it's a little bit of time, and Abraham is saying, hey, I know you said you're going to make a great nation. Uh, Here's the deal. I'm getting old. (laughs) My wife is through menopause. I'm not sure how this is going to happen. And that's when he says, go out and look at the stars. And that's before pollution, right? I can imagine so many stars. And he says, count them if you can. 
Because the number of those stars are going to be your descendants. But it's so important to see what he says next. In Genesis verse 15, verse 6, here's what it says. Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. He went out and just said, okay, Lord, don't know how it's going to happen, but you're powerful, right? You're, you're the God. You can do whatever you want. I believe you. I believe you. Don't know how it's going to happen, but I believe you. And that's when God credited to him his righteousness. Why? Through the works that he did? did? Did Abraham do anything? No, he just said, okay, I believe. And God says, okay, now I'm judging you as righteous. I'm imputing righteousness to you because of your belief. So that's the promise. It was received by this faith. He believed the Lord and it was credited to him as righteousness. If you want to go deeper into this, if you want to kind of like, what else does the Bible say? I would encourage for you for homework, read Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4 is all about this. And it it might make sense now after this sermon, I hope. But in Romans chapter 4, like verse 13, it says, It was not through the law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be the heir of the world, but through righteousness that comes, what? By faith. For those who depend on the law are his heirs. Faith means nothing. Or those who depend on the law, that would mean that faith means nothing. It's worthless. Therefore, the promise comes by faith, so that by it, grace you may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring not only to those who are of the law but also to those who have faith in Abraham he's the father of us all you see Paul again again in Romans is is carrying this through saying it's not through his works it was always through faith and he continues throughout the end of this passage, just he didn't waver. Even though he was old and his wife was old, he didn't waver in his unbelief. He was strengthened in his faith and his belief. He was fully persuaded, it says. All of these things. That's how he became righteous with God, by belief, being persuaded, standing strong in his faith. That's how God saw him as righteous. Righteous. And then it says, and not just to him, but to any who believe that way. That's to us. If you want to be righteous and be justified, it does it by having that same belief, that same faith. And so when we come to, to the Lord, we, we hear about this new life. We hear about the love. We hear about what Jesus did. He took away our sins. He died on the cross to forgive us all those things. And we can sit there and say, well, okay, what do I got to do to earn it? Or we can say, I'm told to just believe it. Just to, to believe, to, to be persuaded and to put my belief in this. And if I believe that, that's what honors God. Living by this faith. Sounds easy to do, doesn't it? It's hard. It's hard to live by faith. It's hard because... We, we tend to live by the things we see and the things we experience and touch. It's, it's hard to, to put our whole faith in something that we don't see. I heard this, uh, a guy this week who was talking about evangelism, and he said this. He said, the reason why we as the church don't do evangelism is because we don't have faith. 
I'm like, hold on a second. That's not what I thought you were going to say. I thought you were going to say the reason why we don't do evangelism is because we don't. Um, we're afraid. We're nervous what other people will say. We don't know what to say. But he's like, no, it's because you don't have faith. We don't believe that Jesus is the answer to someone's life. We have more faith in the psychologist who can talk to somebody and kind of get them to a good place. We have more faith in the drug rehabilitation program than we do in Jesus changing their lives. We have more faith in the goodness of humankind than we do that Jesus is the answer for this person's life. I'm like, that kind of makes some sense. Do we believe it? Do we have faith? We struggle with that. And for those who are in high school here or in college, like for all of us, really, but I'm thinking of our youth, like there's something about when you're young, you're like, I got to have this thing figured out by the time I graduate high school. I got to have, you know, um, my total understanding of this um, figured out by the time I graduate high school. And if I don't, man, I, you know, I've missed it. But gosh, don't put that pressure on yourself because it's going to take all of us our whole lives. I'm still learning. How do I live by faith? Still, at this point, all of us are. And so for all of us, whatever age you're at, how do you take one more step in your belief, in your faith, that, that God is good, that God loves you, that he has a future for you? It's tough. But that's what we're told, to, to receive this through faith. So God's always said from the very beginning, here's how I want you to come to me. I want you to come to me through faith. So, why then the law? That's Paul's question he asks in verse 19, right? He says, after all that, he says, why then? Why was the law given at all? Well, Paul's answer will be that the law was fulfilled by Jesus Christ. The law was given to us for a very short time, was given to them, to the Israelites, for a very short time, until they could put their faith in the Messiah, until they could put their, their faith in Jesus Christ. But when Jesus Christ came, he fulfilled the law. He took care of it. So the law, when we talk about this law of Moses, when we're talking about, I mean, if you want to look, it's like Exodus 19 to 24, um, Deuteronomy, really, you know, those first um, five books of the Bible, it was given to them for a short time. So that when the Messiah would come, they would say, okay, now it's been fulfilled. Now we live in faith. So why, did they, why was it given? Well, he says it in verse 19. He says it was added. Now added. Okay, added. Not, he didn't replace the promise or anything he said to Abraham. It didn't supersede it. It says it was added because of transgressions, of sins, until the seed to whom the promise referred to had come. Until the seed. That's Jesus. He told us that already. He said it was added because of transgressions. Right? Because of our sins. Right? We, we are sinful people. When Moses gave the law to them, right? He gave it the whole law. And, and after that, he says, okay, so there it is. And the people said, do you remember what the people said? They're like, all right, we will do it. We will follow it. <laughs> we will follow this law. And remember what Moses was saying. He's like, No, you won't. (laughs) No, you won't. I just wrote that whole thing. I know what it says, and I know you can't do it. You need it. You need to follow the law, but you won't do it. 
sometimes, too, we think about it, we call it the law, right? And we think about it like our laws, you know, like if you break it, you're going to get a ticket, you know, or go to jail. But it's a covenant, all right? It's a family, like, relationship, like a marriage. And, and it really is. I mean, if we go deep into that, we see that they have a feast afterwards, like a marriage feast and all that. But it's just, it's how do we relate to each other? And so this is, it's not a law like we think about it, but this relationship. And so when we break it, that's why God called them. You're like an adulteress, like you're adulterous people. You're committing adultery because we have this relationship. We have this covenant and you didn't do it. You didn't follow it. You broke it. It says you need the law because you can't live by faith. In other words, Moses would have said, hey, forget the Ten Commandments, all that. Here's what I'm going to give you. The righteous will live by faith. He could have done that. But the people would have been, they would have lived their whole life saying, all right, I did it. I live by faith. I honored God and I live by faith. But they wouldn't have. So God says, I need to give you this to show you just how sinful you are, just how off you are. You can't follow it. But people think they can. They keep trying. It's like, I'm following it perfectly. Let me skip forward into Matthew chapter 5. Jesus comes, and he start, he's on the mount, right? The, the Sermon on the Mount, chapters 5, 6, and 7. And if you remember that, that, that passage, so good. He starts with the Beatitudes, kind of some attitudes of heaven. Then he starts kind of getting into it. And he says, you've heard the law, right? You shall not murder. Remember that? He says, you've heard it said, you shall not murder. But I say to you, if you call someone a fool, even if you just, don't even say it out loud, if you think it in your head, if you think that someone's a fool, you've just committed murder. Like he, he just like, he presses the gas on this. And, and some people are like, okay, then I'm not going to call anybody a, a fool. Like, I won't do that. But the, that's not the point. The point is, you think you've been following the law? You can't. You can't do it. You've committed murder. You've committed adultery in your mind. You've, you've done all these terrible things. You are a sinner and you need a savior. But what does he say? Chapter 5, verse 17. It says, I've not come to abolish the law. I've fulfilled the law. You can't do it. And you haven't done it. And nobody has. Because you're sinful and you don't live by faith. But I have followed this perfectly i've never said in my heart or in my mind calling anybody a fool i've never had lustful thoughts i've never been discontent with life i've followed the law i've fulfilled it i've done what you can't do so why do we have the law it was to show them their need for a savior as we get into this passage or near the end of it it, it says he in verse 21 we'll go there he says is the law, therefore, opposed to the promises of God? Absolutely not. For if the law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would surely come from the law. But Scripture's locked up everything under the control of sin. So that what's been promised has been given through faith in Jesus Christ. It might be given to those who believe. He goes on and he says that the, the, it's like a custodian. It's like a, a guardian. He says the law has like locked you up. Okay, It doesn't give life. Right? Never. It's never give life. It's always been like constricting, like a jail. 
He says it's like a guardian or a tutor who's been pointing you. You are, are in trouble. You need someone to save you. And it's been pointing to Christ this whole time. So when we look at this passage, uh, the question is, is how, how are we supposed to approach God? Through faith or by rules, by the law? And the point is that Paul said, hey, it's always been this way. You always come to the Lord through faith, just by believing him, like Abraham. Moses came and his law was important for a time, but it was to tell us that we can't fulfill it. We're sinners in need of a Savior, and it pointed to Christ. And when Christ came, he fulfilled the law, and now we believe in him, and we put our faith in him that he fulfilled the law on our behalf. And if you do that, that's what pleases God. That's what makes you righteous before the Lord. So stop trying to follow the law. Trying to do it perfectly. You can't. You need Jesus Christ. And in Jesus Christ, then he gives us the Holy Spirit. He puts the Spirit. And that's what we'll get to in the coming weeks, right? How to walk with the Spirit, the fruits of the Spirit. Some of the verses that, you're, that you have highlighted in here, right? We'll get to that. But that's where he goes. Now how you please God, how you walk in the spirits, how you do good works, that's totally different. Because now it's a response. It's a response to, to faith. It's a response to the God who loves us. So, as we wrap this up, how does this change us? As citizens of heaven. Right, how, citizens of heaven. Well, we, we enter this relationship with faith and we stay in this relationship with faith. The faith is what brings us into the relationship. It says, like, I believe in you, Lord. For those of you who became Christians, there was this point in your life when you said, oh, I believe. Right? So faith is important there. But faith is also how we live. We live every day by holding on to the promises of God. Right? Holding on to the truths of God. Just saying, I believe and I trust and I'm going to live my life trying to follow you. I'm going to live my life in the spirit trying to live by faith. To love the people around me. To love our Savior. So by faith, we're loved. We're accepted by God, just as you are. By faith, you receive salvation. By faith, you're righteous in God's eyes. By faith, we walk in the Spirit. So today, Palm Sunday, Jesus comes as the King. He enters Jerusalem. The people are cheering for him. Hosanna in the highest. He's the king. But for them, they charged him as a criminal. But for us today, we still see him as that king, the king of heaven, the king who brings the kingdom of God here to earth. And by faith, you are part of that kingdom. If you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you are a citizen of heaven. And with, if you put your faith in Jesus as a citizen of heaven, he is your king. He's your king still to this day. So how do we know him and how do we honor him and how do we love him and how do we obey him? That's walking in faith. And that's the exciting part, that we get to represent him. He's called us on a mission to go to this world to tell this world about his love so that all the world would know him. 
that's our mission. And that's what's exciting. He came as a king on Palm Sunday. He's still a king today. And one day he will return as king. And he'll bring his kingdom and all its fulfillment. And for the joy before the Lord, that's when we'll feast with him. And I'm so excited. I cannot wait. But today is a good day. Today is a day to rejoice because Christ is our king and we come to him through faith. Amen.